You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. The Literature Corner. It is time for the Literature Corner. Very late because uh, our show has just been all sorts of lit today. And I want you to review a book. What is the last book that you have read? Um, and for one minute, you can tell us what you made of it and whether someone should read it or not read it. Feel free to diss the book if it was really, really not particularly good. Um, I almost swore there, obviously, all the swear words from Ayanda are floating around in my head. Uh, if, if you don't think that the book is particularly good, just be honest, man. You know, we do honesty on this show. If you think it was a maze balls, um, an orgasmic read, tell us. 011-883-0702 in Joburg, in Cape Town, on 021-446-0567. And do a quick little book review for me. I'll start us off. Um, wow, I've got producers who read, eh? The things you have to do when you work with Yusebe. So they're going to be reviewing their books as well. I'll just kick us off as well. Um, they will, I, yeah, guys, just come and speak to me. And the listeners haven't read books lately. So the phones are not going to be ringing off the hook just yet. Um, I think I've mentioned this book to you before. Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Brittany Cooper. I had so much fun reading this book. So much fun. Uh, she also loves swearing as much as Ayanda and Karima Brown um, do. And so this is not a kind of book I can read out loud because if I have to bleep out every second word, it's not going to do justice to the rage that Brittany, that Brittany is all about. But, um, yeah, I mean, she doesn't spare anyone from black men to white women to police institutions in America. It is incredible. And if you've been wanting to try and understand what femini- fem- feminism is about, how it intersects in particular with questions of race and what black feminism is about and how it differs from the feminism of many white uh, women, for example. This book is for you. It is amazing. I've just randomly opened it here to – I had too many quotes, so I got rid of all of them. But there's one passage in the book that I want to work with in some of my own writing. That's why there's a singular marker still left in the book. So I may as well read from – and I'm not trying to touch anyone on our studios. A chapter, a chapter by the title of White Girl Tears. <laughs> it is just, it's just so amazing, this chapter. I, I absolutely love it. Um, okay. This is how she writes. Mama, you'd enjoy this book. Tamagwini, mm-hmm. you, I think you'd love I'm trying to figure you out, man. I thought you were like a raging black feminist. <laughs> and some days you come to see, you know, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting ancestral belief vibes what? here. From yeah, I haven't figured it out properly. I need to take it out. I'm not sure. Because sometimes you are very polite, you know, not Nolwazi. So this is what she writes. Eh? Isn't this just like awesome writing? Um, uh, and and I've just, I think this book is available at exclusive books, so you can actually buy it there. I don't, uh, I don't lend people my books. She writes the following in the chapter on white girl tears. I, too, have experienced white women becoming aggressively angry at public lectures when I give talks. Recently, I received an award from a national women's organization for my work as a feminist activist. In my remarks, I spoke briefly about the ways the Clinton crime bill had harmed black communities and men in my own family. As I walked off stage, an older white feminist, a judge, shook with anger as she disagreed with my analysis of the crime bill. I told her that perhaps my analysis could have been more precise, but that the gist of my point about Clinton and the explosion of the prison industrial complex was in fact correct. She moved further into my personal space as her face became red and her voice shook. All of these are cues of physical aggression, and if you're black, they are signs that somebody's ready to fight. She didn't cry, but I certainly wanted to make her cry, 
the comfort she felt in physically advancing on a stranger and expecting not to have any clap back for it is a comfort and a privilege that only white women have. Really, really interesting. Really interesting. Reminded me when I did my last book launch for Run Races, Run at Rhodes University. And that's why I want to work with this particular passage in an essay that I have been meaning to write for the last two years. Where I had a white liberal woman coming up to him and saying, Eusebius, you remember Mrs. So-and-so and she mentioned a woman that was running the tuck shop at my school, Mrs. Larkin. And then she leaned into me, like really into my personal space and she says, you don't think Mrs. Larkin is a racist, do you? <laughs> and I told so many friends about that incident afterwards and I didn't need to explain just the layers of what's going in there, mm -hmm. coming into your space, the blackmail, mm -hmm. the subtext of we were the ones who raised you, man. Remember mm -hmm. Mrs. Larkin? She went further and she said, did you remember Mrs. Larkin said I must ask you when I come to the book launch, do you still enjoy toasted mince samis? <laughs> so... Because wow. Eusebius, as an adult, is speaking back mm. against white liberal mm. politics, you have to try and induce tears in him by reminding him, hey, Wena, we're oh, the yeah. ones who are responsible mm. for you doing this English thing now and writing and what, what. And she, ta this woman, this American woman, she taps into it. Um, and Sasonka told me that apparently this woman speaks as beautifully as she writes. I'd love to meet her. Mm. Okay, your book. Okay. Uh, you know, we love friends who give us books. This, <laughs> I got this book as a birthday gift this year, a couple nice. months ago. In fact, I got three of them because it's a trilogy. Okay. And I've just finished this one about two, uh, two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, it's called uh, The Good Earth by Perlis Buck, and it's apparently a classic. It was published in 1931. A friend of mine went to a second-hand shop because I was like, uh, please go to a second bookshop for, mm. if you're going to buy me anything okay. and get me something good from there. It's uh, part of a trilogy called uh, The House of Earth uh, trilogy. Uh, the second book that follows this one is called Sons and a House Divided. And it basically, it is beautifully written. It is the imagery that uh, Palace Park invokes when she talks about rural China pre-World War One is fantastic. Mm. Uh, it's set in a Chinese village uh, pre pre-World War One, and it narrates the up and down of one of the families, one of the big families there that owned a lot of land, uh, the House of Wang, uh, the wealthy family, the landowners, and uh, it's actually an interesting book to read at this moment with this debate yeah. about land in this country yeah. and how difficult it is. I mean, it's, it follows one farmer whose name is called uh, Wang Lu. Sorry, I just mm. had to, want to be respectful for pronunciation <laughs> of the names. Wang Lu is a farmer who struggles so much because of uh, uh, the natures of uh, sorry the elements of nature. There's drought, there's flooding. He has to leave his land and leave and take his family to the city. And in the city, they suffer there. There's food riots, as you can imagine, uh, uh, happening in those times, probably in the 1920s, 1910, in rural China. So she he struggles and. He struggles and he, he, before even going to the city he marries a woman called Olen and Olen used to be a slave of this uh, of this great house of Wang family mm. so he marries her she turns out to be the best thing that he ever does she sticks by him through very difficult times mm. she goes and sleeps with him on the street when they're in the cities and they're trying to make it happen oh, wow. she bears his children uh, and she works very hard she works so hard that she is able to after the the city life has happened, go back home, buy the land from her previous uh, slave owners. So it's just a wonderful tale of 
uh, of just of the of resilience of the human spirit, but also Pearl Esbach just writes so beautifully. I mean, this. So you recommend it highly. I recommend it highly. It won a Pulitzer back in 1932, and I think also it was the one that was responsible for her getting the Nobel Peace Prize. How many? Fed, Prize how many fed Joe fed lips out of five? I'd give it. I'd give it. I'd give it four fed, four fed lips out of five. It's really good. Always have to keep that one behind. It's <laughs> not <laughs> so perfect. Okay, Kamagwini really will good. do you after the news headlines. Okay, if you want to call in, Marva is going to take your calls. Uh, you can do a review. What is the last book you read? Give us a brief synopsis. Do you recommend it? Was it beautiful? Was it not? Were you let down? Was it absolutely horrible? Do you recommend we go and buy it right now um, as soon as the show is over? 011 in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, 21 Literature Corner. Okay, we're doing book reviews, guys. Please don't disappoint me. I brag that I have the best listeners in the land, and none of you have read any books. How? Don't you read? You can't just have opinions. Please tell me that you read, and if you do read, don't be shy. Just give us a one-minute praise of the book, and then a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If you're into fat lips, fat lips are sexy. Can tell me how many fat lips you give the book out of five fat lips. O double one double eight three zero seven zero two. Mavis is standing by to take your calls, and in Cape Town on O two one double four six zero five six seven. Samagwin. Yes, you miss it. The book I'm reviewing is A Person My Color, Love, Adoption and Parenting While White by Martina Dalmas. And I think that the book is so important and I think it was sent to us at the right time because of the kinds of conversations that we've been having um, on our open line just about race and privilege, mm. ignorance, you know, de- denialism of, you know, white people choose of them choosing how to remember history. And what I love about this book is that uh, Martina Dalmas focuses and she questions her role. She questions her role as a white South African and how her reality changed when she adopted uh, black children. (laughs) And she speaks about colorblindness and how uncomfortable it was to acknowledge that people get treated differently. And the book explores uh, white privilege, Eurocentrism and structural racism. And I think that the, 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 pro- the, the problem or where she starts seeing the problematic parts is when she actually starts the process of adopting her children. The form would list if she wanted a child with curly hair or with straight hair or if she wanted a child with fair um, skin. And I think that the categorization and the classification was what was problematic you know, about the whole process. Why couldn't she just have a kid and get a kid that she wanted, not uh, you know, categorize the child as fair or with curly hair or straight hair? Um, that's where she started seeing the, the crack. And I think um, she she was really ignorant and oblivious to the issues of race in the country. She grew up in Germany and she moved to South Africa. And still, when she moved to South Africa, she was socialized in white circles. Mm. So she begins to unlearn and takes active steps when her three-year-old um, daughter, Lele, who she's adopted, says to the husband, Papa, can a person of my color drive a fancy car one day? Mm-hmm. And I think it struck something for them because they realize that they lack, rep- lack representation, mm-hmm. that there's only um, people of color are the help or they you know, work outside in the garden, but there is no representation for the child for, for them to see that, oh, you can actually become this and this and this one day. So, you know what's so interesting? interesting about that yeah. I, I've heard so many stories mm. now of um, white people in interracial mm. relationships or white people who adopt a black kid mm. and even if they were already very literate and incredibly progressive mm. in their racial mm. politics there's nothing that brings home yes. more mm-hmm. 
the reality of what it means to be a black body in mm. this world than having a child that is uh, that black. is phenotypically black. Mm. Definitely. And I, I love how honest she is about that because she only started seeing that she was racist and she confronts that wow. um, in the book. And that's why I, I think everyone should really get this book, guys. Not just people who are planning to adopt transracially, but just every person in South Africa deserves to read this book because she okay. is not in denial about her racism. I and hope she doesn't beat herself up, though. Like, no, oh, she doesn't look at me, no, best wide. She doesn't beat herself up about it. Okay. She, and she actively um, also stalks black people so that she can be, become friends with black people. Not as tokens. <laughs> <laughs> Not as tokens, but to, to, to really unlearn and to learn, to expose herself to a different world. So she does the work. She does the work. Okay. And even, I just want to read one passage. Okay. I think there's two powerful chapters for me. Mm. Um, I know we don't have time, but there's two powerful chapters for me. It's called White Pain and Facing My Inner Racist. And I'm going to read um, just a short something short from uh, the chapter called White Pain. Mm. So she has a, what she calls open dialogues with white and black friends. She brings them together and they speak about different issues, you know, of race and how they are affected differently by race in, in, in South Africa. And um, in in one of these um, open dialogue sessions, uh, one of the um, white women, Deidre, uh, speaks about her uh, how she went to um, Sea Point and there was a group of black men who attacked her and said that you're a white bee and they were mm. aggressive towards her and she she felt so scared and, 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 and she really just said, I don't want to ever go back there. I feel like leaving the country now. Mm. And um, one of the black women um, said this um, in return. I don't know about you, but I fail to see the relevance of what you are recounting set against what my people have been going through for centuries and still suffer to this day. I fail to see the relevance of a white woman's pain when she realizes for the first time in her life at the age of maybe 35 or 40 and after having lived for that entire time in blissful oblivion that she is actually white and privileged and that she is part of a racist system whether she likes it or not. I fail to see the relevance of this self-indulgent pain in the light of my grandmother's, my mother's, my own and my daughter's pain as we get told from when we first play in sandpits with white kids that we have to be servants and slaves and can never be princesses or queens because we are black and our hair is ugly. I fail to see the relevance of a white woman's decision to move back to the safety of her white country at the moment she feels uncomfortable mm. amongst black people or a white woman feeling threatened walking in her white neighborhood because there are angry black men standing on the pavement when she can call the police or armed response mm. and they are in all likelihood going to arrest them and protect her and not the other way around. I fail to see the relevance of a white woman's pain because she feels unfairly judged as being part of a system of white supremacy that protects her at every corner when my people are nowhere safe from abuse and violence because there are no safe spaces for mm. blackness anywhere in this world. I just totally fail to see the relevance here tonight in this group. Wow, that's so, some home uh, Even at the you make end, make me feel bad for doubting that. Remember, <laughs> I was like, I, have I remember you said. I think it's it's really important, especially with the discussions that we've been having in the country. Mm. Please go get it. I think it's worth a read. Really. That is that is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The literature corner. Mama Gwini, give me that. You're me. Just give. Let me take a screenshot of it, and then for other folks who can also. Go out and buy it and read it and also enjoy it. Nomkita, good morning. Morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. And you? I've never been better. I love it when people make me feel bad for not having read books, even though I'm reading all the time. What have you been reading, Nomkita? Uh, I've just finished the reading. 
what happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oh, okay. And what? And give us a, b- a brief summary and whether you enjoyed it. Okay. Now, to start with, you suggest so the the book is for people. It can make a lot of sense to people who are interested in women and political governance. And I think uh, that's the reason why I bought it. And I was following her campaign up to the elections. Okay. And um, what came out strongly is the what we normally talk about, the cyberbullying, which was prominent throughout the book, which relates it to all the emails during uh, her campaign. Up to a few days before the elections, uh, her and her team will try and address the issue of emails, but it will keep on emerging. And even in the Twitter, the, the contender, the president, the current president of America, would say, should I win? I know who the first person I'll put behind the jail. And he will stop there, wanting to, to taunt him, to taunt her and to haunt her. Uh, it came up strongly to have an evidence for me that, you know, uh, women are the vi- do become victims of cyberbullying, specifically during the time of elections. And the other thing that came up, stood out for me, is how expensive it is to run for a big office, depending on the type of uh, electoral system that you have in your country. It's unlike in South Africa. In South Africa, it's easy because it's only the political party that runs, and then it goes at the parliament to nominate Mm. you as the president. And in this case, this woman was running the elections for herself on her own, but I saw the amount of money she invested in the process. Yes. And it showed that ordinary poor women Absolutely. will struggle yeah. to, mm. to match to, to that kind. Yeah. She had teams, scientists, environmentalists, mm. so, sociologists, you name it, economists, you know, was there to shape her policy and people. She would go around with teams uh, researching mm. and all that needs money. And to compare it here with an ordinary woman Absolutely. from Umtata who goes about, about making noise mm. only in, in the, in the in, at a rally. That came out too strongly mm. for me. So, Nomkita, do you recommend the book now that you've finished reading it? I would recommend it, especially to people, as I've said, who are interested in women and political governance. Okay, fascinating. Isn't it interesting, guys? Remember this morning I was saying the open line, we had almost exclusively men calling in today was weird. And now I'm asking who's been reading, and I have basically, with maybe one exception, it's all women. So the reason why women weren't calling to the open line is because they were reading. <laughs> guys, yeah, we, we've got to close that gap, eh? Uh, Margaret, good morning. Hi. Is it Margaret? Yes. Goedemorgen, Margaret. Is it Afrikaans? Yes, I am. Okay. What is the last thing you read? The last thing I read, I'd really like to recommend the book The Choice by Edith Eager. Okay. Tell us about it. She's a Holocaust survivor, and she's written a book about her search for peace after the trauma that she experienced. She became a psychotherapist in America after the Second World War, and she writes about her patients as well, how to grieve, how to um, 
to uh, forgive as well. It was an absolutely fantastic book. That is amazing. Is it beautifully written or is it just the what she experienced that drew you into it? It is beautifully written. She writes about her own experience at Auschwitz and then also about how she had to come to terms with it for the rest of her life. Hmm. Fascinating. Thank you, Margaret. Zeke, good morning to you. Welcome to the Literature Corner. Good, good morning, Yusadis. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Nice to see the guys also read. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a bit of a damper into your uh, theory there. I've got a book with five lips for you. Yes. Um, if there was a special sign, I could go. Doo-doo, doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? It's a book called Musashi. Uh, it's a Japanese book. Mm-hmm. It's been translated by a, a guy called Charles S. Terry, mm. who's brilliant. And he was able to capture the author's beautiful way of writing. And it's, it's a book set in 16th century Japan. Japan. Sorry, I'm stretching you. And uh, it's about a guy who wakes up in a battlefield. He's fighting a war that he doesn't really understand. And he goes back to his own village. Mm. And the village wants to excommunicate because I think he... He was a coward and he didn't actually go and fight the war, but he was one of the few survivors in this battlefield. Mm. So they hang him on a tree uh, in shame, uh, trying to teach him a lesson. And this monk takes him under his wing, who's politically motivated, and tries to teach him a bit more about what's going on in the country. And it's just about his experience as he travels through Japan, discovering who he is and becoming a a samurai. And... uh, the people he meets along the way, the, the trials and tribulations of being who he is. And it's, if you really want to understand Japanese culture, he's able to take you to these places like the Japanese tea ceremony, meeting the geishas, the way the silk and the kimonos are made, the Japanese swordsmanship. And if you're a bit of an action fan for the guys, you know, there's a bit of skitskop and dawner, as they say. Um, really cool book. Very beautifully written. Mm. I can highly recommend it. Thank you, Zaka. Tessa, our last caller for today. What book have you last read? And uh, tell us about it. Okay, we've lost Tessa there. We'll get Tessa on next time. 13 minutes before noon.